Ruth. There you go. Ruth, chapter 1. Was I right then, honey? Did I get it wrong? Man, he's smiling at me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Is that right? Good. Ruth, chapter 1. And we're going to look at the first chapter this morning together. I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. And we'll be looking at it in the New International. Um, I found I bought an early uh, translation of the New Living Translation. I've been discovering that I've been reading it. Other people have actually got the New Living Translation but it's uh, up a different, a later translation. So I'm just going to try and get the same one so we're all on the same page. And rather than confusing people, we'll stick to the NIV for the book of Ruth, if that's all right with you. Ruth, chapter 1, New International. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab, Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech Naomi's husband died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Marlon and Kilion also died and Naomi was left without, two, without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Opa kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there, I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. 
When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, this, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Let's pray together, shall we? God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you speak to us from it as we continue to open it and wrestle with it. And God, as we come today to look at this passage, we just ask that you would speak to us. God, we ask that you would speak to us about making wise decisions in our lives. And God, we pray that uh, as, as we look at this together, that we would just hear your voice and be obedient in our hearts and in our actions. God, we want to praise you this day for the city that we live in, for Wodonga and for Albury and for the districts around. And God, we thank you that we're free to worship you this morning here in this uh, region and in this country. God, we thank you for our leaders who uh, really seek to govern in a way that's just and fair. We pray for them today. God, we pray for our Prime Minister, for um, the, the state premiers. God, we pray for uh, our mayor, uh, for local members and federal members that represent us here in this region. And God, we would pray today as the opening of the freeway takes place and as people stand together there and as they dedicate um, this freeway and uh, open it up. Oh God, we would pray that uh, today you would be working in this city in a mighty way. God, that you would be stirring the hearts of people that are far from you. God, that you would be helping people to realise that life without you is just not, not worth living. It's not anywhere near what you have planned for people to have. God, we pray that you would stir us up as Christians to be a great witness and a great influence in this city. God, we pray that we as your people would rise up to be great leaders and helpers of people who are far from you. God, we thank you that you've placed us here to be your salt and light. And as this freeway opens today, we pray that you would help us uh, to be those that are dedicated to being a great witness for you in both Wodonga and Albury and in the regions around. God, we um, commit all that we've asked for today in prayer to you and we open our hearts for all that you're going to speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, I wonder how good you are at making wise decisions. You think you're pretty good? Yeah, let me test you then, hey? Um, let me ask you a question and you see what, whether you can make the wisest decision. You're captured by someone and you, they say you, you're going to have to die, you know, unfortunately. But well, you've got to, you're able to choose which way um, you go. And there's three rooms that you can go into to face your death. Uh, three doors. And you come to them and they say, behind the first door, 
are 30 soldiers with loaded guns. You, know, that's, you can choose that door. Second door, uh, they're, they're ready to shoot you, you know. The second door is a raging uh, oven with burning flames at deathly temperatures. You go in that one and, it... and the third door, behind the third door are 30 lions that haven't eaten for three years. <laughs> Which... <laughs> You're too smart. (laughs) You're good. You're good. So which one would you pick? The lions. Because they haven't eaten for three years. It works on my kids. They never get it. But you guys are smart. Well, this morning we want to talk a little bit about making uh, wise decisions. And that one was easy. But I tell you what, some decisions in life, are really hard, aren't they? I mean, uh, some of the situations that we face in our life uh, require some of the most difficult decisions for us to make. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes when uh, bills keep piling up and uh, things just need to be paid, but the money is not there to pay them. The frustration uh, with not having enough, the uh, anxiety that can rise about how to wisely steward the limited resources I have, um, what upcoming gifts, <laughs> the cost of paying for birthday presents and wedding presents and all that when the money's already resourcing, you know, how can we cope? And then on top of that, there are things to say, should I work maybe a different job in order to get enough money to pay for the rising bills? Should I change jobs? Should I try and get a promotion? Maybe I should try and, you know, maybe we shouldn't even be living in Wodonga. Maybe this was the right, wrong place to start already. And we think, oh, God, how can we make wise decisions here? It could be with a relationship, maybe in your marriage, There's been things that have been getting harder and harder. And sometimes the easiest things would be to make decisions that would ease the pain rather than working and making wise decisions in the midst of it. How do you make wise decisions? Well, the story of Ruth um, unfolds and, and we find people who are in the midst of challenging circumstances needing to make decisions. I think it's going to help us as we think about how we can make wise decisions today in the midst of various struggles and issues that we face. The the words of Ruth chapter 1 begin and they burst out with just meaning. There is so much meaning packed into these first um, paragraphs of Ruth. And even in the first words, they speak volumes. In the days... When the judges ruled, wow, for the readers of this book, they're taken back to the time when the judges ruled. And for those that were living in those times or even were able to remember the times when the judges ruled, would just quickly know what that meant. It was a time where there was um, much religious and moral degeneracy going on in Israel. There were... 
people that had stopped following the Lord and they'd turned away from God and they were um, just living however they wanted. The people of God, God's people, the ones that were supposed to be living according to his laws and his ways were in chaos. The nation was disunified and everyone, it seemed, was just doing their own thing. And they were suffering. They were suffering from foreign oppressors. People would come in in, this, in the midst of this um, degeneracy and, and um, lack of unity and they would be vulnerable uh, in the period of judges. And people would come in and attack God's people. If you flip just one page back to the last verse in Judges, just the previous book which talks about uh, the days when the judges ruled in Israel. It says in verse 25 of chapter 21, in those days days Israel had no king and everyone did as he saw fit. That's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? It comes to making wise decisions, doing as you see fit, uh, will get you in all sorts of uh, terrible situations. Um, we just need to look at, at uh, people who just do what their heart's desire is, at nations that just do what they want, at families that decide that whatever they want, they'll just do. It's a re- recipe for disaster. And the first words of, Judges, of Ruth just you know, give us an introduction to the time when this was written. And then... What happens then is the scene of Ruth opens up in the next few words and paint even more of a picture. It says, There was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons. So already we've got some other information. There was a famine in the land. And it says, A man from Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem means the house of bread. So what a, what a, you know, trans, what a opposing things to say in one sentence. There was a famine in the house of bread. Uh, the place where God would care for his people and provide for his people, where the people of God would be uh, provided for by their God, where there would be bread, where there'd be lots of food, a place where they could live, there was famine. Now, I think we can just immediately um, connect some things that might be going on right in these first verse, this first verse. And I don't think it's wrong to look at the way in which God worked through the Old Testament. He talked about blessings and about curses. And for those who would follow him, he would bless them. And he would take care of them. And he would watch over them and he would help them. And for those who would turn their back on him and ignore him and go their own way and do what they saw fit in the eyes of the Lord, then they would be cursed and things would not go. They would come out from the care of this God, this sovereign God who wanted to provide for his people. And so it's no surprise that in Israel at the time of Judges, when everyone did what they saw fit in their own eyes, 
that there's famine in the house of bread in Bethlehem. And you can just know that that will be true in your life. You know, if you say, God, I'm just going to do my own thing, I'm going to disregard you, I'm going to make my own decisions, I'm going to live my life according to my plans. Uh, when things go tough, I'm going to run. Uh, when things go uh, not to my advantage, I'll step on someone. When uh, a situation that you've placed me in, God, is too difficult for me, I'll manipulate it around so that I get my... Th- and God says, child, don't do that. You know, there's consequences for not coming under my care, for not obeying me, for not following me. There's a certain man, it says, as it continues on, a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons. And he he went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, the man's name was Elimelech. And, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, whenever you hear a name, uh, it often is packed with meaning. And Elimelech's name means, my God is king. And he was married to Naomi, which means pleasant. It's a lovely name, isn't it? Any Naomi's here this morning? Pleasant. There you go. You've got Naomi. It's, it's a nice name, isn't it? No, Elimelech, though. My God is king. So now my God is king, Elimelech, is in the land of Bethlehem, the house of bread, and there's a famine there. So what does Elimelech decide to do? Well, he says to Naomi and his two sons, We've got to get out of this place, he says. You know, it's too hard. There's famine in the land. It's hard to survive. It's hard on our family. It's not the place where we should be. We've got to get out of here. And we're going, and of all places, to Moab. I think it's like being at the football and being in your Hawthorne football gear and moving over and sitting in the midst of the Carlton cheer squad. Uh, for the people there to go uh, to Moab, they were heading over to enemy country, enemy territory. Uh, they were the enemies of Israel. They weren't allies at all. In fact, it reads in Judges chapter 3 and verses 12 to 14, here, there we read that um, Israel was doing evil and God raised up Eglon, the king of Moab, and he overpowers Israel and keeps the, the people, children of Israel subject to him. And uh, he actually led them to overpower Israel and keep them subjected to him for 18 years, more than 18 years. So God's people had been under Moabites' rule and oppression for a long time in the past. These weren't friends of Israel, but Elimelech decides, we're starving, we're hungry, my kids aren't eating well, it's time to go. Now, uh, the, the chapter doesn't clearly say that this is wrong in God's eyes. And we've got to be careful how much we read into the silences of Scripture. 
But it just seems to me that it's the time of judges that God is actually judging his people. And right in the midst of this famine time in the house of bread where he was to care for them, Elimelech, who says, my God is king, comes out from under God's judgment and moves over to Moab. It seems that he's made an unwise decision, I think. It seems that rather than saying, even though, God, you're judging your people, if I put my trust in you and I continue to trust you, even in the midst of these difficult, challenging circumstances that I'm facing, then I know you'll provide for me. You'll watch over me. You'll care for me, even in the midst of that. Now, it must have been incredibly difficult while the kids are hungry and things are are, are really tough. But I think he makes an unwise decision. He decides to bring things into his own hands rather than trusting in God. It doesn't say that he prayed about the decision. It doesn't say that he sought the Lord. It doesn't say that he, 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 he you know, really gave God much thought at all in his decision to go to Moab. It's understandable that he'd want to go there. But he was leaving Bethlehem. And he was leaving God's people. And he moved away and he moved out of the boundaries, out from under the boundaries of God's promises and his care. And he left Moab and he went to the enemy camp and he started to try to make a new life for himself. Now, when it comes to making wise decisions, church, God wants us not just to choose the option that involves the least pain, he wants us to do his will. He wants us to trust in him no matter how painful the decision is. Before we're too hard on Elimelech, I think we can be tempted so much to do the same. I think we're tempted in the midst of stressful circumstances to take things into our own hands. You know, to say to God, I'm not waiting anymore. You know, I've been waiting too long. I've been looking for Mr. Right. He hasn't come along and I'm already 18 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get myself a man. You know, sometimes it... Uh, when we, we continue to say, God, please give me the longing of my heart. And sometimes we make devastating decisions to find the partner that God has not, is, you know, is not a Christian, is not walking in God's way, is not someone who has God as the head of their lives. And we make compromises and we try and sort of say, God, I, I know better than you about the one that I want, I'm going to marry. I'm tired of waiting. Or we say, I've been waiting and waiting for this promotion, for someone just to notice me, for someone, you know, and God, I've, I've been working hard and yeah, you're not doing anything fast enough. If I, I'm, that's it. I'm just going to make some things now. I'm going to step on this person and try and do that. And God, you better bring about the results that I'm looking for. In the midst of pain, God doesn't want us to take necessarily the least painful option. He may. But don't think just because it's painful, it's the best decision. Maybe um, some of you have been living on the land and finding it really hard, and especially in the midst of the drought and 
trying to find uh, ways to make ends meet. And your pain uh, must be very similar to Elimelech's. And I don't know what God would be saying to you in the midst of that. He could be saying, you know, a number of things. But I think this passage is kind of saying, don't just think the pain means I've got to run, you know. I think cry out to him. Elimelech didn't seem to do that. There's no evidence that the one who's called my God is king displayed that in his life. And whatever you're facing on the land at the moment, don't make decisions without yielding yourself to God and his will and seeking him. You know, if you're trying to think about getting a second job or working longer hours and doing that, don't just do that without seriously saying, God, what are you wanting me to do? Oh, boy, this might be the thing that I think is going to solve the problem. But, you know, take it to him. This happens in churches too. I don't feel like I used to. You know, it's, it's harder to serve than it was before in this church. You know, uh, someone hurt me in my small group and now I don't even feel like going there anymore. Someone told me something negative about a leader and that really disturbs me. I think I might just go somewhere else or not come at all. And God says, you know, hey, not always the easiest uh, the, the most one of least pain is the best response. He wants you to be crying out to him, seeking his will. And sometimes, in fact, I've found in my life, often the one that is the most painful now but is right to God is the way God's wanting me to do to go. You know, for someone who's single to say, even though I know that this would short change, this would bring me short-term relief, Oh, the pain of being married to the person who's not living according to God's way, not seeking to to honour you and love you in the way that God had wanted. Oh, the pain of not being able to ever reverse that decision or the pain of moving to another place and finding that things were just as hard there and that God really wanted to teach you some incredible things that would grow your character. Oh, making wise decisions is not always just going the path of least resistance. Before long, if you do that, you might find yourself in the land of Moab doing things that you know were not God's will for you and moving away from his care and his love. An unwise decision he willingly took things on himself. You know, Proverbs says that there's a path that seems right, a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to ruin. So often we think we know best and sometimes we act before God acts and provides for us. And this is what Elimelech did. You just get a picture of that. So in the first uh, opening section of Ruth, Uh, It it continues on and it's just packed with information. You can sit back and you can read it and you can read just that first paragraph, verses 1 to 5, and there is just so much detail, well-written, 
but details that are there. Here's just a little bit of what happens in verses 1 to 5. Elimelech is married to Naomi. Her name is Pleasant. My God is king, is Elimelech. And, he, and now he shows he's not living up to his name but making an unwise decision. He uproots the whole family. And the boys, Marlon, uh, which isn't actually clear what this kind of name means, but scholars seem to think that the word means weakly or sickly. So imagine turning up Sunday morning, you know, we've had a new baby, everyone, isn't it cute? We've called it weekly, you know, <laughs> sickly. What do you think? A bit weird calling your baby that. Isn't he beautiful, you, you know? He, he had a brother called Killian, and it seems to mean finished or spent one. And uh, now, again, it's a funny name to call your kids, but I think uh, trying to tell us something is giving us a warning. So Elimelech says to them all, you're coming, and off we go. And look what happens in just a short time in the land of Moab. They arrive, Elimelech dies, and Naomi is left with just two sons. Uh, they took Moab uh, wives from Moab. Uh, the Old Testament had warned about marrying um, people from the uh, Moab people, <laughs> It talked about um, the Israelites being careful about the people that you married and they were warned not to marry um, Moabites. Now, it's not completely forgiven, but if you married a Moabite, then you weren't able... Uh, it's not, sorry, completely forbidden. But if you married someone, you wouldn't be able to take her into the temple when you worshipped. So again, the boys start to sort of compromise in God's will and they slowly make little compromises living in a land... And they marry these girls as well. Now they live for 10 years. So Naomi and her two uh, sons. So Orpah is a, is a Moabite girl who marries Kilion, her son, and Ruth, who the book's named after, marries Marlon. And when they lived there for about 10 years without having children, both weakling and spent one, the two sons, died. <laughs> And so they died. And I want you to put yourself in Naomi's shoes right now. Within just a very short time, she'd left Bethlehem, the house of bread. She's gone with her husband and her two sons. They married two daughters. Now her husband is dead and her two sons are dead. What a tragedy for Naomi. Now you think about that for us and we think that's fine. She'd have Centrelink. Everyone would look after her. You know, everything's fine. In, in Moab, no way. Women, for this, this is, uh, this is just the most destitute place for any woman to be without someone to care for them. And she's in a foreign land with two daughters-in-law who would not be able to provide for her income and care. This is rock bottom for Naomi. And she senses that God's against her. She feels completely alone. And she hears a whisper that God has provided house, uh, bread again in the house of bread. That back in Bethlehem, God started to bless his people. And Ruth and Orpah and Naomi uh, decide that it's time Naomi goes back, back from Moab to Bethlehem. 
I think we're going to just pause there for this week. And I think if we take this away today to say the first thing to learn about making decisions is that the way of most pain is not always the best way to take it. And no matter how difficult things get, whether you end up destitute or right on the rock bottom, God wants you to turn to him. God wants you to trust him. God wants you to put your faith in him and make wise decisions no matter how painful it is. Whatever your situation's now, I think God's speaking to each one of us and saying, I love you. The pain is not my judgment so much, but it's the difficulty of making the right decisions right now. And I want you to make the right decisions. And I'm going to help you through that. And I promise to be with you in the midst of it. God's looking for people who will be people that say, God is my king. I'm living for him. And uh, I'll take care of you if you follow me. Let's pray together. Oh God, there are people here this morning that have so many aching issues before them. So many people have found themselves in a place of famine. So many people have found themselves in a place of broken relationships, of hurt, of uh, lost dreams, of a desire to live for you that seems to have just gone dimmer and dimmer over time. Oh God, I pray that your word this morning would be teaching and touching lives so that people could make courageous decisions to live for you as their king. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you empower people this morning to make right decisions? Help them to pray, to seek your word, to cry out to you in the midst of their difficult circumstances, knowing that you are with them and you want to help them. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to uh, ask you now if you take out the news sheet and inside is the blue cards and we'd just love you to fill out your uh, name just saying, hey, you know, we're here today. We're here. Um, that would be great. If on the back there's something that you'd like us to pray with you for, would you would just take a moment to put that on? And maybe today you're starting to say, oh boy, how did I ever get how I am, where I am today? How did I ever wind up here? And if that's you, you might just want to say, God, I'm wanting to put you first in my life. You might just want to tick, you know, I, I want to sort this out. There's a top box there that says, um, I, I don't know how to settle this issue. If you took that and just circled it, that would be saying to us, are you wanting to make the right decision today? Are you wanting to turn around? And I'd love to chat to you to talk about that. There's going to be prayer after the service. We'd love to pray for you. But why don't you take just a few moments now to respond using the blue cards. Thank you.